welcome, welcome. This is episode number 84 of the Bearded Marketers Podcast, the only internet marketing podcast that matters. I'm Rob. And I'm Corey. We bring you the latest and greatest in internet marketing every Monday morning at thebeardedmarketers.com slash podcast on iTunes and on Stitcher Radio. Leave ratings, reviews, tell a friend, call the show, 904-270-9603. We appreciate all feedback. Not so much complaints, but I do appreciate some comments, some suggestions for topics we can cover. And of course, advice, any of those things. Rain your praise on me. I would really (laughs) appreciate that. You can text or leave a voicemail at that number. First, before we get into the topics. Drink a drink. Yeah, what are we drinking? What are you doing? I'm doing Talisker 10, a smoky whiskey that is quite tasty. Not too much. Scotch whiskey. Scotch whiskey, sorry. Yes, you are correct. How about yourself? So last week uh, I talked about drinking Colonel E. H. Taylor's. Correct. I believe it was you had single. You go on a deep search for this, if I remember correctly. In thinking about this again, I did drink it in an old fashion, so I feel like maybe I didn't give it a fair shake. So for this week, I'm drinking it straight, <gasps> just a couple cubes of ice. It's actually very dangerously smooth. Maybe is a way to describe it. I think a normal proof is what, like 80 proof for a scotch or a whiskey so. or something yeah. like that. 100 proof. Okay. What's up? We're in dangerous. Okay. Area right now. Or fun, depending on who you are. <laughs> All right. Run us through the topics. Let's just jump straight All into right. it. All right. Tonight, we got some interesting ones. First, Professor Rob's going to enlighten us on how do we get users back into the ecosystems that, and this is an evil laughter, ecosystems you control. <laughs> We're going to move along into mobile apps. And should that actually be a concentration for you? What are the trends? How are users actually adopting applications? Is it plateauing? Ooh, some question marks there. Five remarkable tips for Q4 from our remarketing expert, Rob. And then we're going to pivot into Bing. There's been some executive conversations on where that company is heading. And they do enough search impact for us to pay attention to, at least for now. And uh, wrapping things up, we're going to pivot from Bing. Our Google corner, what are they doing out in Mountain View that we need to pay attention to? But first and foremost, Rob, let's kick it off. How do we get users back into ecosystems that we control? What does that even mean? And why should we care? This article was prompted by a stunt. I'll call it a stunt. Maneuver. (laughs) By Taco Bell. Okay. I don't know who these people are who follow Taco Bell on these social networks, but this is probably who the people that go watch at. Nitro Circus and things like that. <laughs> heard a had a heard a. Okay, so this is aimed at all of Taco Bell's social media channels. Basically, they blacked out for maybe it was just one day, but for roughly a day, they blacked out. And they posted to which their is Facebook. apropos to their usual consumption. <laughs> 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 Why you would go to Taco Bell. <laughs> anyway. So, that was a good one. I'll give you that. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> they posted to Facebook, Instagram, Tumblr, Snapchat, Google Plus, and Twitter an image or a message, depending on the medium, that said, the new way to Taco Bell isn't on X, whatever platform it is. It's hashtag only in the app with links to the App Store and Google Play apps for Taco Bell. So this was a stunt to basically say, let's see if we can get some people using our new app, which I I don't have the app. I don't know what's in the app besides I'm guessing the menu. Maybe some additional things. Maybe they're just going to try to do promotions. Right. So this is basically saying we don't have enough control maybe inside some of these social networks. We want to see if we can get some people in our apps so that we know when they're near a Taco Bell, I can hit them a push notification. Right. Or I know they're out drinking at the clubs (laughs) to your point about blacking out. 
and that, that crunch wrap. Right. We need to keep better dibs on our users. So I thought it was an interesting play. There's mm-hmm. some stats that people have compiled on potentially trying to look into maybe how well it did for them. So here's a simple breakdown of some of their stats in the U.S. food and drink category for the Apple iOS. I think they were roughly averaging in the 80s rank. Okay. Something like that. Shocking. And then (laughs) shot up to number one with this stunt that they pulled. So that's just in that specific category. Overall, though, they used to rank at around 1,379. That's Mm -hmm. very exact. It wasn't around. (laughs) Then 11 hours later, they had shot up to the 24th most popular app in the iOS environment. Huge gains for a stunt. Again, I don't know who the hell these people are. And of course, it's Taco Bell. So this stuff is slick, right? right. I mean, Brand recognition. Right. Like it's that. it's definitely um, marketed to the younger crowd. It feels cool, like good topography, like looks cool. But I wanted to take this beyond simply just Taco Bell okay. and talk about the implications because I know that so many companies out there have tried to take advantage of social networks because it seems like such an easy way to get people looking at your stuff, interacting with the things that you're doing. But I think with that, a lot of companies have sort of neglected their own environments, meaning let's screw blogs. We don't need a blog, right? We just mm-hmm. have a Twitter feed and Instagram and all this other thing. So we basically have lost control of a lot of our audiences, total control. We can't get really interesting statistical information on some of these people. I mean, some of these platforms provide basic analytics, Mm -hmm. but I can't control the pixels that fire for these people and do remarketing campaigns. I can't easily throw slide ups and modal windows, which Mm -hmm. work amazingly well for people to capture their email addresses or get additional information or get them to more easily perform other kinds of actions that I want these people to perform. Or to, I mean, to your point, focus them a bit. Yeah. You know, some of these ecosystems in which they're operating are full of distractions. You have other people in the feed, friends, family, other brands, things of that nature. And that's always going to be vying for their attention. And sometimes working in other mediums can help you squell some of those and, again, have them focus on what you want them to. Obviously, this was a stunt. This isn't something I've heard of any other companies doing. And they're trying to get you to download an app. So there are some stumbling blocks there. But I can imagine so many other brands taking advantage of a very similar strategy, maybe not even calling it a blackout or or going disappearing for an entire hour, but posting across all of your channels about one very specific message, something that you can only get from one specific area of your website. Maybe it's Mm. your email list or something like that. If you post out to all your channels, you can get tons of people into mediums that you have complete control over. Again, you know, take back that control from some of these social networks, because to your point, I mean, there's so many other distractions. There's so many ads for competing companies in people's faces when they're looking at your Tumblr feed or whatever the hell it is. Think about some of those ways you can get people back into some of those mediums you can do. And I think there's some really unique opportunities on some of these social networks to every once in a while remind people that, hey, like we're not just on Instagram or Snapchat or whatever it is. Take the time to sign up for the email newsletter or check out the stuff we put at our blog, all this same content, but maybe some more in-depth analysis or whatever it is that you guys do. So I think the interesting thing to think about when you look at your content marketing strategy, especially coming into the holidays here, sales lists, coupons, that stuff tons of people are interested in. Take control of it. And I think the best way to do this is with an email newsletter. I love those right now. I'm all about it. All right. Anyway, that's enough about that. What else we got to talk about? 
a great segue into, you know, one of the interesting articles that I came across this week was on e-consultancy. We mentioned them a lot on the podcast and they do have a diverse amount of content on there. So it's definitely worth maybe subscribing and checking out what they have. But one of the articles in particular that caught my eye was this one discussing the future of native applications. And just to clarify what we mean by native applications, these are going to be mobile apps that are specifically developed, trying to tie into native functions and features of phones that you will download from application stores. So the Play Store or iTunes if you're an Apple user. But one of the interesting things that I found, and this actually mirrors some of the experience that I have with different companies in that we do notice that application adoption sometimes lags behind what you would expect. And what this article really goes into is taking a hard look at where the application landscape is. And I do want to preface by saying Apple has had another record-breaking year of number of downloads from their environment of apps. So people are still using applications out there, and I don't want to necessarily poo-poo on that. But I think this article does go into some particular thought processes that many businesses need to potentially talk about internally before they go down the application route. Because I think the dedication that it takes to execute an app and execute one well, depending on the environment, can be more than you might expect for developing something out, especially if you're used to just working on web platforms. A lot of that stuff is frameworked out at this point, and it's very easy to find developers and move people around and get them going right off the bat, whereas application is a completely different world. And I think that a lot of businesses really do need to think about, before we dedicate a lot of time and effort into applications, do we actually see that fitting in? And in particular, I think some of the key points that this article raises that I don't believe a lot of companies think through is, one, there is this sort of honeymoon phase that we're coming out of in this application mobile world where people have had these smartphones and it's sort of novel to work through apps and get them and things like that. And also as businesses, many times we're very aggressive about marketing our apps and we almost force people down those paths. So it's, we've almost created this catch 22 for ourselves by almost berating people to get our apps. So then we feel like, well, everyone's using the competitors apps or people are using these apps. So I need to develop one, but that's sort of the animal that of our own making. But what this article goes into is a lot of users are expecting mobile websites to work very much like applications and they don't actually download apps as much anymore. And they are using their mobile browsers to facilitate that. And they expect those experiences to work well. And that is an issue that I see with some companies and they sort of ditch their mobile web platform and go with an app and expect people just to download their app and use it exactly the same and then don't dedicate the development cycles to actually having a good mobile process. Well, a lot of people don't actually download your app. And a lot of that goes into another point that this article raises is what's the point of your app? I believe a lot of people need to think about the in-between of I'm on your site. I'm already trying to do something. Now you're having me go download an app, sign in, maybe create an account, get started, maybe even starting all the way back over. That takes a lot out of the user to do and is interrupting the user flow necessarily worth that, but Mm -hmm. also what's the point? What are they downloading the app for? I mean, I know as a business why you want them to, like you mentioned, you want to get those push notifications, you want to learn more about those people, but from the consumer standpoint, how 
how much is it costing you to offload people into a different process and potentially lose them anyway, but also your brand potentially taking a hit because of this cumbersome process you just had someone walk through. Another interesting item that they cover in this article that might be playing into this app fatigue that they talk about, the concept of users becoming more privacy aware and this belief that apps are potentially a leakage point for some of their private information on their phones. We've had Snapchat have some pretty publicized fallout. Numerous companies that have applications now have had some serious security issues. Plus, I will say Apple and Google have gotten much better at alerting users to how much data is actually getting pulled on these people, fueling the skepticism of engaging with apps and instead using mobile processes. So I don't want to say that the application world is even dying. I think it's still continuing to grow. I do believe this article raises some serious questions that businesses really need to consider before you dedicate a lot of time and money and heartache to developing an app. Is it something you really, really need or... Or could you save some cycles, dedicate your time on your mobile platform, and potentially be better off as a company? They do go into some pros on why you would want to have an application. You know, maybe it's very difficult to replicate the features that someone comes to expect from your desktop site in a mobile experience. A perfect example is Newegg.com. So if you're not familiar with them, they're an e-commerce company that sells computer parts to build your own PCs, things like that, particularly to the gamer crowd, things like that. They're really well known for that. Anyways, one of the features that many people use on their desktop site and what they're known for is an extreme level of filtering. I mean, there are a lot of computer parts out there, even within very specific categories like video cards, and they have a lot of filtering that's available. And that's sometimes difficult to replicate on a mobile experience. Mm -hmm. So an app in that case might be able to facilitate to your users what they come to expect from you and actually be a good user experience that is a brand additive. Whereas for some other companies, that's not really the case. And again, you might be having users jump through many hoops that at the end doesn't really benefit them or potentially hurts their perception of your brand. So I did want to open up that dialogue. We're going to tweet out a link to the article, but I think it does lay out a good case on what you need to think through as a company before you really commit to a mobile app, being aware of what's involved and asking yourself some tough questions before you potentially tackle that, that you might need to just really do some self-discovery on. Yeah, there's a couple things I wanted to point out there and, and this one elaborates on what you were sort of finishing off there with, which is that you know, features in an app that you can't really pull off well on a mobile version of a website. And I think, you know, you mentioned Newegg and I think for most companies, this isn't really the case, but there are certainly standouts, you know, like again, like you mentioned with Newegg, But look at other sites like just Facebook. You know, there are a lot of things you can do in the app that just feel more intuitive inside an actual application that are harder, much more difficult to pull off in a mobile app. But there's also additional features from the phone itself that you get access to more easily in an app. Things like location services. You mentioned notifications, things like that. But other things, let's look at the Instagrams of the world where you upload pictures and can edit them. All of those things are much more easily done inside of an app. There are those sort of outliers, but I think, again, for most companies, apps, you don't require those features, right? I think the other thing, and this is something you started to talk about, which is the dedication of time. And I wanted to emphasize the dedication of money. Apps can be incredibly expensive to develop, especially if you want to take advantage of some of those additional features that are harder to pull off on a website, which is why you would be needing to use an app. There are some companies out there, obviously, who have tried to create app environments that let you sort of plug and play. 
but oftentimes what happens is companies want to use those plug and play things, but then make modifications, which then aren't possible or, or are incredibly expensive and you're back to square one. Apps can cost you in the beginnings of, let's say, five to 10K for just a simple skinning of a checkout process or just some informational type stuff and just skyrocket from there. So even though it seems like a lot of companies out there probably have apps, I think a lot of them are really bad and you don't need to jump into that group of other people with bad apps. Well, that's one of the things that I would mention as well is there's also this aspect of reputation that you're putting on the line. Mm -hmm. You know, having applications out there is another thing that you need to manage the community on. You know, you have this aspect of reviews, answering to people, ensuring that you're putting out a great product, just like your website. So squashing bugs, staying up to date on new releases like iOS and Android and things like that. Whereas when you compare apps to desktop or mobile web experiences, you don't necessarily have to run into the continual introductions of bugs due to new platforms coming out, new phones on the market, things of that nature, but also just the diverse nature and how people are accessing your site, different viewports, things of that nature. And applications have to take into account all those things much differently than just standard HTML, JavaScript, and things like that. So not only, I think, are you opening yourself up for additional costs, like you mentioned, but it's a a lot of additional headache. But managing those experiences and making sure that they're up to your quality standards is something to also consider out there as well. I think we spent a lot of time there, so let's go ahead and parlay into remarketing. We've talked about this many times on the podcast, why everyone should be doing it, how easy it is with things like Google Tag Manager, new services coming out with it all the time, like Twitter and things like that. But what are some of the tips that we need to know going into this final quarter? We're closing out the year. How can we finish strong with remarketing to make sure that all those numbers are green and we get that big bonus check from the boss at the end of the year? Absolutely. I will forewarn you, though, I feel like the title was a little misleading. I don't know that these necessarily apply to Q4, although you should be doing them now. So in that way, I guess they do. But this is five. These are five quick tips that I wanted to cover. Remarketing is something that's near and dear to my heart. I love it very much. It performs very well. If you aren't familiar with it, do it. But for those who are, here are five quick tips. Everything's always changing in the online ad space. So maybe you're not aware of some of these new recent changes or some of these strategies that other people are taking advantage of. So number one on the list of five tips is use Google Analytics remarketing lists in and of itself. So for those maybe who set up their lists a long time ago or or who aren't maybe aren't familiar that you can do this inside Google Analytics, when you connect your AdWords account to analytics, it opens up a whole new world. Oh, yes. A much easier world. Remarketing list building abilities. So you can create remarketing lists based on virtually any sort of custom segment that you can create inside analytics. So that means things like demographics, technology, goal completions, time on sites, specific pages people have viewed. Anything you can think of, you can basically create a segment inside Google Analytics for those people specifically and remarket to them. Which is difficult in the past. I mean, for a long time with most of these providers you essentially had to build a JavaScript to do all of that for you. And it became very complex, overriding values, deleting things, potentially adding things in. Analytics adds such a ease of use. If you're familiar with the product to build these remarketing lists, that can become very complex. Not only 
do I know you? So I should serve you potentially ads, bid higher for you or give you display, things of that nature. But now I might know very specific things about you. Maybe you haven't visited the site in two weeks. So now I want to have a re-engagement campaign out to those people and things of that nature where it was very difficult back in the day. You might have to hire a developer, do a lot of QA, make sure it works. Now GA has just opened up a whole new world where marketers can do it much more smartly, but only take like an hour or two of their time and just boom you're done. Just start collecting data. I will say this. Don't get carried away. You can create very specific, narrow lists, but it's often not worth the time there. That's another one of the tip. I got ahead of myself there. Okay. Okay. Tip number two, layer remarketing with other kinds of targeting methods. This is something that I think becomes a mental block for people when they create remarketing lists. They think that they can just create ad campaigns for those lists themselves, but no. In some platforms, you can layer other kinds of targeting on top of them, So for an example, let's say I want to remarket to people who have just simply visited my website, but I don't want to show those ads to people who are just looking at other kinds of random websites or doing random web searches. I also want to layer on top of things that are related to what it is that I sell or do. So doing that sort of combination is a powerful thing. It can let you put your ads right next to people who are on YouTube watching videos related to something that you sell, Mm -hmm. throwing your ad right in front of their face at the right time can be super key. Number three, Analyze your reach and frequency. This is something I was just talking Coming about where I got my head circle. Of, where I got ahead of myself. Mm-hmm. Don't create lists that are so incredibly small that they're really not worth managing. I mean, this applies to virtually any kind of ad campaign, specifically with AdWords. There's no point in creating ad groups or ad campaigns that just have a few keywords that doesn't don't get any traffic. Right. It's not worth a headache. It's not worth having that stuff lingering out there that you have to monitor. So make sure when you're creating remarketing lists that they're large enough to be worth dealing with. Number four, remarketing for dynamic search ads. So for those of you who are not familiar with dynamic search ads, I'm not going to tell you what that is. You should probably Google that, but know that you can also layer remarketing on top of your dynamic search ads, which is like another kick it up a notch type thing. Finally, diversify. This is tip number five. Diversify your remarketing platforms if you are not aware And you can't possibly be unaware of this because I talk about Twitter remarketing virtually every episode. But remarketing has opened up to almost every advertising platform that there is out there. You can retarget or remarket, however you want to say it, on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, Google. That's pretty much everything that matters. But, (laughs) (laughs) you know, there's networks out there that will let you do that automatically across everything. Shout out to AdRoll. They're pretty easy to use. It takes take a sizable chunk of the cut there. But if you want to set those things up yourself, you know, you can go inside Facebook, create remarketing pixels, go inside Twitter, do the same thing, and just throw those codes on your websites. Throw ads in front of people's faces on Twitter who have already been to your website. And it's so straightforward and easy. And these campaigns usually perform so well that get on it for this holiday season for Q4 and in the year with a bang. That's all I got to say about remarketing. Okay. And if you actually want to know how to get started, you can check out Rob's remarketing video on the beardmarketers.com. Pretty informative. He actually walks you through how to set it up, the concepts behind it, and take those five tips to heart as well. Drawing close on time, so we're going to move through this pretty quickly. But there were some conversations from the Bing executives recently talking about what does the road ahead look like? And basically what it boiled down to is Bing is going to start focusing a lot on opening up 
what they allow for advertising and starting to reach out more into their platform. So they had sort of hinted at allowing people access to usage on some of their products like Office and things like that. Being able to nail down and know more specifically about the people that you're targeting, obviously keeping privacy in mind, but they're trying to really stay relevant and diversify themselves a bit from Google. And they've really struggled. I mean, they've had the merge. Bing now powers and has for a while the Yahoo ad network as well. But they've really struggled with staying current with Google and really vying for marketers' time. A lot of people, say including ourselves at some point, write them off as that's the second option, but way, way, way down. Mm -hmm. Um, So they're trying to reinvent themselves, but also understand, you know, where do their differentiating factors live as it competes with Google? And their penetration into the enterprise world and their software suite. Also, they're very fond of their Cortana application or voice recognition, things like that. So that's going to be a big push for them. You know, they weren't very specific about how that's actually going to work. I know there's a big move to migrating Microsoft Office into the cloud, very much similar to how Google has done with their Drive products. So potentially there's going to be some efforts there. They even talked about opening up Outlook and things of that nature. But they also did talk about how they need to understand where search lives. You know, really their ads live mostly on Bing and Yahoo, but they said that, you know, people are using devices and searching very much differently than they have in the past. You know, not necessarily is the destination always to the search engine. So how can they stay current and moving on to those different really sort of user behavior differences that are happening? So there wasn't really much too tangible. What I did find was interesting is they said, basically they understand where they sit. I mean, the exec was very transparent. This is an interesting article on search engine land that we're going to tweet out. But one of the things that I found very striking with him is he said that we have a big push internally to make Bing migration from AdWords extremely easy. And he said the reason being right now we're sitting at, you know, 20 to 30 percent market share. And we believe that if we're sitting there, that's how much marketers time that we should be able to demand. We understand that we're not a big player right now. And as such, it should be easy to use our tools, especially coming from Google, who's really kind of the giant in this space, I found it very interesting that even one of their execs said, we're going to be striving very hard the next few months to make our integrations with every asset that you would have in AdWords come over to our platform very, very easily to make management not a bear, where you feel like you're having to juggle two very vastly different ecosystems and there's a huge barrier to entry, but also maintaining it. Just know that there are going to be some changes coming to Bing shortly. So if that's something that you've written off, you know, like we have with certain clients as well. No, there's probably some changes coming down the pipe and they really are doing some self-discovery. Maybe this is just kind of the once a year we need to shake some things up, but it was a refreshing talk to see some of the transparency that some of the execs were exhibiting. Interesting that they're sort of taking the humble approach of, look, we know we suck. Yeah. And saying things like, look, we're going to try to mimic AdWords functionality in many ways because it's familiar for people. Sure. And almost what you're saying, it kind of hints to me that we're going to try to work closely with AdWords APIs so that you can pull in all of your ads and things very easily. Your exports from AdWords will import very easily inside AdCenter and making sure that all that works flawlessly. I mean, I guess I agree with all that stuff. If you're just going to be that sort of second tier player that everyone tests everything inside AdWords and Mm -hmm. then if it works there, then yeah, I guess I'll I'll throw it in Bing and, (laughs) and hopefully it works there too. I mean, I think what's going to be interesting with Bing's life cycle is AdWords for particular verticals is 
becoming very, very expensive. And there is starting to become a pretty hard barrier to entry for some of the smaller businesses in that mm-hmm. everyone now, PPC is not anything new. You know, we've had many years at this and many companies are spending a lot of money in it. It'll be fascinating to see if Bing can sort of pick up on that and allow it to become, like you mentioned, sort of a second tier where smaller businesses can get a start, get their feet wet, start to learn what works for them, and then potentially graduate up to the big leagues or just offer them another traffic stream that maybe isn't so, so expensive. Because I know that a lot of companies that I've talked with have voiced some concerns running their own AdWords campaigns and how expensive and difficult it can be sometimes just to get some traction. So keep an eye on Bing. It seems like they've had some humble pie, as Rob put it. They might be making some changes here shortly, so it might be worth a second look. So wrapping things up, let's take a look at what's going on in the Google corner. Speaking of the overlords, a couple things. One, there have been some whispers of some issues with Penguin related to it interpreting local searches well and how it's weighing results. Some people are noticing that it's actually getting a little bit more spammier and giving domain name potentially a little bit too much weight over actually what the business does. Thank you. I have some (laughs) great domain names. This is good news. So just keep an eye. There might be some further shakeups with Penguin. It's becoming sort of a large issue in some verticals and there's some talk that Google might be rolling back some of the changes. So keep an eye on Penguin. If you do local search uh, and that's a big part of your organic traffic, know that there might be some mix up there. Google also, much to Rob and I's praise, seems to have fixed multiple login issues with particularly AdWords. This doesn't pertain to you, then count yourself a lucky person. But if you manage multiple accounts within Google, it is sometimes a pain interacting with both of them. You get stuck in these loops and you can't log in. You have to work with a lot of incognito windows, but Google said they rolled out an update with that. So keep an eye on that. Last thing to keep in mind, if you use site links or your website gets enough traffic where that is becoming a regular portion of your organic traffic click-throughs, keep in mind that you can now disable the search box. If you have Google search on your site, that will also sometimes come through the search engine results. So what do I mean by that? Let's say you have a site and you leverage Google search engine on your site. If I'm searching for the Beard Marketer's awesome podcast, what can happen sometimes is when that search engine result page comes back, not only is it gonna have things like our video page or our contact us page as a site link, but also a search box. Well, some businesses, and I would let myself into this category as well, would think in some instances, a search box coming back is actually just distracting away from the key pages I want you paying attention to. I don't necessarily maybe want you searching through my site as the first interaction. I want you to either enter in my homepage or some of my top pages because that's a better experience. So just know that if you have a site that uses Google search, you can disable that from coming through the search engine result pages and it might improve your click-through results. That's going to do it for us on this episode. Woo! We covered a lot. That was action-packed. So thank you first and foremost for your time. If you enjoyed yourself, ask you for a couple things. One, that you share with a friend, a colleague, or as Rob would say, a lover. And as Rob mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, leave us a review on whatever channel you found us on. It helps us grow the show, but also know where we stand and maybe what we need to change. You can also give us a call if you have a problem. Maybe you're really stuck with something you don't know where to turn or the boss is yelling at you. You can give us a call at 904-270-9603. You can leave us a text there as well. You can contact us on thebeardmarketers.com slash contact. 
or you can reach out to us on Twitter. We're quite active there as well and where we'll tweet out all the links that we talked about in the show today. Thank you again so much for your time and we'll see you next week. Geo. Geo.